the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. DC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Do you see where Abraham's heart was? Even when he, when he wanted a wife for Isaac, he made sure that Eliezer was not to take the young man back there. He was through with that land. In fact, when Sarah, his wife, died, where did he bury her? In the land of Canaan. Never did he go back. Never ventured back. Abraham's heart wasn't back there. It wasn't back there. And the point of the writer to the Hebrews, the point that he's making is this. Faith is to be steadfast. It, it doesn't long to turn back. It perseveres. It pushes on. It, it, it means even being an alien and a stranger on earth because their focus is on heaven. A pastor I knew long ago used a mountain climbing analogy to describe not going back. He said that each time you reach a new level of spiritual maturity or faith, you ought to drive a stake there so that you don't fall back. Climbers drive a stake or a pin into the rock and attach their rope to it. As they climb, they drive new ones and move their rope to the new ones so that if they lose their footing, they only fall a very short distance. Faith is like that. We need to make note of what God has done in our lives, where He's brought us to and where He's brought us from. Then we need to resolve to never go back to what we were before. We ought to drive a stake right there and make it our new starting point for greater spiritual growth. Well, hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 25 years. Verse by Verse Ministries and this daily program developed out of his teaching ministry there at Lakeside. We have been studying faith and the heroes of the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11. Today's lesson is the middle part of Pastor Steve's fourth message on the subject. We continue today to focus on the life of Abraham. In our last class, though, Pastor Steve had just described the scene of Jacob passing on the Abrahamic covenant to his grandsons, Manasseh and Benjamin. At the conclusion, Pastor Steve asked how those patriarchs were able to keep believing God's promise even though they died without seeing it come to pass. Now, let's review that passage from Genesis 27 and find out the answer to Pastor Steve's question. Then we'll get back to Abraham. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 27. Let me show you this, and you might want to mark Genesis around 22 and 27 and there so you can go back to it rather easily later on. But Genesis 27... Isaac, when he died, gave a blessing to Jacob. At this point, he didn't know it was Jacob, thought it was his brother Esau, but the point is that he believed God's promise. Genesis 27, verse 29. May peoples serve you, 
and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. That's the Abrahamic covenant, somewhat, somewhat. Then, chapter 28, verses 3 and 4. Look what uh, Isaac says to Jacob, and, and he's old at this point. He's going to die. Not too uh, long from, from this point. And he says in verse 3, And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Hey, that's a tremendous, tremendous promise. Even on his deathbed, he's thinking of this promise because he's, he's about to die by faith. Not meaning he died by faith, but in his death, he believed God. And then Jacob. How about Jacob? Chapter of Genesis 48, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, behold, your father is sick, meaning he's about to die. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him when it was told to Jacob, behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, which is another name for Jacob. His name was changed to Israel, collected his strength and sat up in his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make you a company of peoples and all uh, and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. What he's saying is they're part of the blessing. And then we jump back or over to verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and may my name live on in them and may the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 11 is saying. They died in faith. When they died, they were not discouraged. They were not disillusioned. They did not say God has led us uh, astray. They died in faith. Why didn't they grow discouraged? Why didn't they grow disillusioned? Why didn't they grow disappointed with God and just walk away from the Lord and say, look, I have served him all of my life and now I'm going to die. I'm an old man. And what do I have? I have a tent and I, and I dwell as a nomad in this land. Why? Why didn't they have that attitude? Well, verse 14 tells us, Hebrews 11, for those who say such things, and what did they say? They confess that they're strangers and exiles on the earth, according to verse 13. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Those who confess, as the patriarchs did, that they are still looking for a better country are confessing and prove that they haven't found it here. 
They haven't found it here. They're looking for a better country. You see, they had their hearts and their minds set on heaven, known in the New Testament as the new Jerusalem that'll come down from heaven. It's helped them to be steadfast in their faith. This is the key. This is the key to walking in faith. They never uh, despaired or grew disillusioned because they believed God would eventually fulfill his earthly promise. And they stayed focused on that heavenly promise. You see, they, they believed God would fulfill his earthly promise, but that wasn't the focus of their life. The focus of their life was that they were looking forward to heaven. You see, their hearts and minds weren't set on the world, but on heaven. And I want you to see this. It's where their hearts were at. It's where their minds were at. They knew God had promised them this, but they didn't dwell on these earthly blessings. They did dwell on the heavenly. Notice verses 15 and 16. And indeed, the writer says, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, hey, if their hearts were in that country, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is tremendous. This is really tremendous. Abraham's heart was not back in Ur of the Chaldees. You need to understand that. And I'll prove this to you. Let's turn back to Genesis 24. Let's look at this. You can't really understand Hebrews 11 without understanding Genesis, but Genesis 24. Now, the writer is making a point. He said, listen, when Abraham left Ur the Chaldees, developed, center that it was, he never wanted to go back. He, he turned his back on that city and he forged ahead. His heart was not there. His heart was not in the world that he knew. Watch this. Now, Abraham, verse 1 of 24. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, this would be Eliezer of Damascus, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now, watch this. This is a this was a custom of the day that he wanted Eliezer to put his hand under his thigh, meaning that if you do not fulfill this, the children that come from my loins will rise up and destroy your family. That's how serious this was. That's what's going on here. And I will make you swear, verse 3, by the Lord, the God of, the, of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. You'll not take any daughter. You'll not, you'll not have a mixed marriage here. You'll not have a Canaanite. This is a special marriage, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. In other words, go back. Go back to Mesopotamia. Go back to Ur the Chaldees and find a wife there. She, he's not to have a wife from, from the pagans around me. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Good question. Suppose she doesn't want to go. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? It's an excellent question. Then Abraham said to him, beware, lest you take my son back there. 
the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. You see where Abraham's heart was? Even when he when he wanted a wife for Isaac, he made sure that Eliezer was not to take the young man back there. He was through with that land. In fact, when Sarah, his wife, died, where did he bury her? In the land of Canaan. Never did he go back. Never ventured back. Abraham's heart wasn't back there. Wasn't back there. And the point of the writer to the Hebrews, the point that he's making is this. Faith is to be steadfast. It, it doesn't long to turn back. It perseveres. It pushes on. It, it, it means even being an alien and a stranger on earth because their focus is on heaven. Now, the point that he's making to the Hebrews of the first century and to us by way of application is so obvious. And this is it. In case you're wondering, it's not obvious to you. This is it. The Hebrews of the first century were thinking of going back to Judaism. They were thinking of turning around saying, you know, I don't like this persecution anymore. It's hard to live for Christ. People are not always friendly to me. People don't don't always give me uh, gracious things. People are not kind like they used to be when I was a part of the the Jewish uh, synagogue community. Now it's difficult, and I'm not sure I like it, and I'm thinking of, of walking away from Christ. And what the writer is saying is, listen, that's not what Abraham did. That's, that's not what Isaac did. That's not what Jacob did. They lived as aliens and sojourners. They didn't get a whole lot of respect either. To live, by the way, in that day and age as an, as an alien and a sojourner meant some hard times. You were looked upon with suspicion. You were not treated particularly well all the time. And so what he is saying is no matter how difficult it becomes in this life, follow the examples of your fathers. They didn't abandon their faith and return to their homeland, so you make sure you don't abandon your faith and return to Judaism. God preserved these words in the Bible for a good reason. They apply to us as much as to the Hebrews to whom the book was originally written. We'll hear more about that after we take a short break to welcome those who might have just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve's teaching ministry at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, has expanded to include verse-by-verse ministries and this daily Bible class of the air. We're studying the heroes of the faith, described in Hebrews chapter 11. While that is our main text, there are other passages that shed light on our topic. We have spent time in Genesis chapter 24 and 27. Right now, we're taking a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. So, if you would like to follow along in your own Bible, get ready, because that's where we are going now. And the point is so clear to us. Whatever lifestyle you came out of, whatever home environment, wherever God has called you from, don't even think of going back there. Don't dwell on it. Abraham's heart was not back in the old lands. If you dwell on that old way of life, you're going to fall spiritually. Don't dwell on that. Don't think about that. You've made a clean break from that old lifestyle. Persevere now. Be faithful now. You see, this attitude is what gives us a true sense of of values, that we are just aliens and sojourners. 
Look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It gives us our perspective. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, and I might add, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Hey, that's the way you used to live. Don't keep your mind there, because wherever your mind is, that's what the behavior is sure to follow. Is your heart there? I mean, you're moving in Christian circles, but is your heart really back there? If your heart's really back there, forget it in the Christian life. You're going to be defeated all the time. But the key is, what are you thinking about? Are you dwelling on heaven? Are you dwelling about the, on the glories that will follow? Are you thinking about the Lord's return? Are you thinking that the rapture could happen at any moment? That's the purifying hope, and it's, it's really what purified Abraham, what kept him from being discouraged. It's the same thing for us. Same thing for us. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is a great passage of Scripture. It's a great passage of Scripture. It, 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 it reveals the longing that ought to be in our hearts. In fact, the longing that, that is there in a true believer's heart. Verse 18 of Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're going through, Paul said, in terms of suffering, can't even compare it with the glory. And we don't, we haven't been, hasn't been revealed to us all the glory that's going to take place. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Do you realize that, that creation waits? Creation longs for the return of Christ. Now he's personifying creation. Creation doesn't actually think. But he's personifying it, that, that creation is actually longing for Jesus to come back with the sons and daughters in, in, in glorified bodies, the sons and daughters of God in glorified bodies, and they groan. Creation groans. Don't you think that creation would love to be in full spring bloom every year? But it doesn't. After spring comes summer, and, and a lot of things wither in the summer, and then the fall comes, and that's why we call it fall, because leaves fall. And winter, and it dies. You think that creation likes that? Creation would love to be in full bloom like it will be in the millennial kingdom. So he says that the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Adam fell and the race fell, creation fell. It was cursed. We live in a cursed world, and though there are some beautiful parts of our world, it is a cursed world. He says, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. It just wants to give birth to an eternal spring. And not only this, but watch this. We also ourselves, also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. And why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. What is he saying? In every child of God, there is a groaning that goes on. There is a desire for something better. There is a desire to be out of this, this body that is so prone to sin. It is a desire to be free from the flesh. It is a desire to be absolutely perfect in, in the presence of Jesus Christ and say, no longer do I have a struggle with my rotten attitude and no longer do I struggle with my sin. 
And no longer do I struggle with immorality and those things, but I eagerly, I'm groaning inside. That's one of the proofs that you're really a believer because you're not content with this life. And that's the way Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were. They did not live for the pleasures of this world. They lived with their eyes focused on another home, on heaven. That's why they didn't grow discouraged. So if something happened to them, they realized that wasn't the end of the world. That wasn't it. Do you live your lives like that? Do you, or do you live your lives as if this world is everything? And if something goes wrong in your life, you have a fit. And, and you have a headache. And you get ulcers because that's not the way we're to live. We are to live our, our lives as if this world was just a, a stopping place along the way because that's all that it is, just a stopping place. That's how the patriarchs lived. That's how they lived. And I'll bet they didn't have a whole lot of headaches and ulcers. They may have had some other problems, but not because of that. And this is the way that we should handle our trials and our pressures uh, of life by fixing your hearts and minds and your, your eyes on heaven. See, this is where it becomes very practical on the return of Christ. We often get into all kinds of debates on uh, when the rapture could come and, and all kinds of things on prophecy. And well, we should know about those truths. However, if that's all you know, you are a theological egghead. If that's all you know, if you just know prophetic charts and the reality of the return of Christ has never gripped your heart, then you've missed it. You've missed it. The the purpose of the book of Revelation is not to to create a, a prophetic chart, although that's an outgrowth of it. The purpose of the book of Revelation is for you and I to see Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. See him for who he is and long to be with him. And don't get so caught up in this world. Job, in spite of all of his sufferings, you know what he said in Job 19, 25, and 26? He said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is flayed, yet without my flesh I shall see God. Job said, hey, I know there's hope. I know that even though I'm going through excruciating pain and all the problems, I've, I've lost family, I've lost property, I've, uh, I've got uh, silly, stupid friends. In spite of all of this, he said, I know that I'll see my God. I know that I'll see him and I'll persevere. We don't have the time today, but you ought to go through 1 Peter and see all the references in 1 Peter to suffering connected with the return of Christ. That's what Peter was saying to a suffering people. He was saying, listen, you're going through suffering. Remember, Jesus is coming again. You can endure it. You can handle it. So true believers have faith that perseveres, faith that is steadfast. And while we may grow uh, discouraged at times, we always continue in the faith. We always continue in the faith. That is the mark of a true Christian. Even though circumstances are bad, we continue because our minds and our hearts are fixed on something beyond this world, heaven, heaven. The Apostle Paul used the analogy of running a race. In Philippians three thirteen and 14, he said, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. That is referring to the promises and goals he had just detailed in the previous verses. But one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're in an endurance race, not a sprint, 
and that takes patience and dedication. Those heroes of the faith held on to their faith in spite of spending their entire lives waiting to see those promises come true. They faced ridicule and violence. They ought to inspire us to do the same. It'll be worth it in the end, and we will see that in our next class. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside since 1981, and his clear practical applications of biblical truth are made available through this daily radio Bible class by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their local church. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. That's the place to go to hear this or previous programs again. You can even sign up for our free podcasting service at the website. We also offer a complimentary newsletter if you would like to subscribe to that. The website once again, versebyverseradio.org. To hear Pastor Steve's entire message at once, you can order an audio CD or a cassette. Please call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours so that you can order an audio CD or a cassette tape. That number again, 727-239-0306. In our lessons so far, we have learned a lot about faith from Abraham. We have learned that it is active, patient, and bold. Well, today we learned that it is steadfast. And in our next class, we'll hear about another aspect of Abraham's faith. It was obedient. And we hope to have you back in three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn delivered for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.